This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace recently launched the latest version of their platform, Squarespace 7, which has a completely redesigned interface, integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, 15 new templates, and an incredible feature called Cover Pages. Try the new Squarespace with a free trial at squarespace.com and enter offer code RIOT at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Start here. Go anywhere. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 124, and we're recording on Thursday, September 17th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. For the second time in, I think, three weeks, I've, I'm doing the show hungover. This is, I, <laughs> <laughs> as you probably could tell as far as doing the read at the top of the show, that uh, I got a little growl in my voice. I kind of like the growl. I don't like it's how good. I feel. Yeah, but maybe not the feelings. No, that, you know how you can get helium in a balloon; it makes you squeaky. They should make something where you can like make your voice like this without having to uh, actually get a virus or something, or you know, <laughs> uh, the virus called alcoholic alcohol uh, in my voice. But here uh, we're here. Uh, Shinsky's off in the Big Easy, um, eating and drinking things. I'm sure her voice sounds very similar this morning. Uh, so she'll be back next She's week. She's sending me very entertaining text messages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> I am going to be out next week. So uh, I'm, my family and I are moving to Portland, and we're getting on a jet plane on Monday, and so things will be a, in a, upheaval for me. Uh, but we got a good, good week of news. A couple things to get before we get started. Uh, Amanda's show is live. Yeah. Get Booked is live. The first one was September 10th, and the next one is coming out this Tuesday. So when this show is live... Thursday. Next Thursday. Oh, Thursday. I'm sorry. I'm getting (laughs) Dear Book Nerds release schedule and your release schedule mixed up. So you can listen to episode one. It's up already with Jen Northington. They talked about um, what to read after reading A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. Um, It was a great show. And the next... Who's next? Can you tell, or is it a secret? Oh, no, sure. Um, The next episode we record on Monday, it's uh, with... Who is it? Oh, Ardo Omer from Panels. Nice. She writes about comics for our sister site, Panels, and we're doing, um, the show is mostly about comics and graphic novels. We got a lot of questions about that, so I brought on a comics person. Are you getting getting good requests? Do you need more? Should we tell the people where they can send their recommendation requests? Sure. You can send them to getbooked at bookriot.com. That's the email address. Or you can just send them to me on Twitter. I have so many. They're about 100 right now. Yeah. so it's gonna. The next week is gonna be a longer show than I was planning. Yeah. Um, just because some of the requests that I'm getting are like time dependent. Like I'm going on a cruise in two weeks. What should I bring? You know. Oh, I I'm know. getting on a Saturn V rocket for Mars. You have until yes. ten, nine. Um, so, so good. That's a great show. It's gonna come out every two weeks. You can find it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Get booked or go to bookriot.com, and there's a podcast tab at the top, and you can find it there. The other thing, Book Riot Live. Uh, it's coming November 7th and 8th. You can use the offer code wheelhouse to get $20 off your ticket. A two-day reader's bonanza, uh, <laughs> the kind of convention we've always wanted ourselves to go to. You know, one thing we haven't talked about uh, very much, we've talked about how there's going to be panels, different kinds of genres, um, uh, you know, hardcore to middlecore to, to, to newbie readers of all kind coming, uh, editors, authors, agents, designers, booksellers, um, professional fans. We even have some people yeah. that are sort of professional yeah. fans in their own way. Um, but the other thing that's I, we've been committed to from the beginning is trying to make it look like the kind of readers' convention we want it to look like, with the kinds of voices and perspectives and ethnicities and cultures uh, and races. So we've been, worked really hard on that. Jen's done a heck of a job, um, you know, making it look like what we aspire for sort of the book world at large to look like when the people for the people in front of the mic um so it looks like more like the kinds of readers actually behind the mic uh, reading and listening uh, and watching and learning and uh, I'm, I'm really excited about that i think we're all proud of the program we've put together there you can go to brookriotlive.com and you can see the speaker lineup and get a sense of the kind of mix that we're looking for um so we're looking for the, looking forward to that. If you've got any questions about the show, uh, the, the convention, Book Riot Live, feel free to email us at the, at the podcast, email podcast at bookriot.com. We can answer any questions you have there. Um, use offer code, excuse me, wheelhouse, one word, for $20 off your ticket. Uh, it's coming up, so pay attention very, very, very soon. Okay, let's go to our first sponsor because you might, you know, it's fall. And you're getting people are getting back into routines. Follow the you know things start sort of falling into place. 
a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> no, and see, it's, is it, I always have this debate with my friend. If, it, if it's unintentional, is it legitimately a pun or is it just nothing? I, anyway. All puns are legitimate. All puns are legitimate. <laughs> um, Scribd is the subscription service that gives you access to more than a million books and audiobooks. Go to scribd.com slash bookwrite to get started with the free month. They've got, you know, they've got books you've heard of and a lot of them. They've got audiobooks you've heard of and a lot of them including big new releases, front list titles on audio and, and, and uh, ebook format. You can get the books you're going to love because you can start rating things, recommending things, and then their system and their algorithm will start sort of surfacing things for you. I'm using all the buzzwords about content discovery right now, including content <laughs> discovery. And they've got hundreds of collections curated by their team of editors. And as you read and sort of give them some feedback, they can tailor the recommendations for your taste with other books you've loved or not. So getting into a habit... The leaves are starting to turn. Weather is starting to cool down. They're very much uh, going to be curl up with a hot beverage and look at leaves and sit in a comfy chair time. No better time to try a new book or a new genre uh, than than this time of year. So you get unlimited access to all the audio. Uh, to, excuse me, to all the eBooks and comics. And then each month you also get one audiobook listen included in that in your eight ninety nine subscription price. Uh, after that, you can buy other audiobooks. But that is a change, so we're just highlighting that it used to be unlimited. People were doing way too many audiobooks because it's kind of way too good of a deal, to be honest. Um, so now it's back to one audiobook per month plus all the ebooks and comics you can read. So that part hasn't changed. So that's something to know about, too. You, if you want to get try, you want to try it out, you can get 30 days of unlimited reading along with one free audiobook uh, at scribd.com, S C R I B D.com slash book riot. Get started today, try it out. Okay. Hmm. Do you, you ever look at Pottermore? Did you ever spend any time on Pottermore? Of course I did. You did? I've never yes, touched it. Yes, I have so. been sorted. Oh yeah. Oh everything. well, you're you're uh, you're uh, a Sith, right? Is that how it works? <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, Slytherin. Yeah. yeah. Slytherin, right? Yeah. So Pottermore, which is the, I guess the website for Harry Potter fans. It's, it's for all Harry Potter post series and movies things going on. Yeah. Rowling herself um, writes for it a lot more than I think most of us would kind of like at this point. To be honest. <laughs> There's always a new tidbit trickling out some, uh, you know, who, who had different color eyes and who was left handed and all this kind of stuff is coming out. I, they're getting a redesign, which I think is interesting for a couple of reasons. I, do you understand? Would you take a redesign? It says, as it suggested, it's a massive redesign as a sign it's not doing as well as they would like. Oh, no. Oh, you don't think I, so? Okay. No. All right. Do you? I, I'm not sure. Um, they said they're they're rejiggering it so that it's more mobile friendly, which makes sense. Um, they're also taking less emphasis off sort of the role playing, sorting. You've got to do stuff to read stuff. Access is more of a. I think it's going to be more of a straight ahead content kind of site. I know there's a lot there, and a lot of people really like it. Did you like it that when you were when you got sorted and do all that? Do you go back to it at all? I don't go back to well, I go back to it when she releases a new, yeah. you know, short story or whatever. But um, there's a lot of emphasis on it right now, and like the gamification, you mm-hmm. know, of of the site and the experience. And I think I was a little too old for yeah. like to find that enjoyable. But I think that's what a lot of people are finding, and that's why they're changing it because you know this like this article that I read about it said that they uh, focused on the gamification of this site when they first built it because they assumed that their core audience was going to be children, but that hasn't turned out to be the case. Um, mm. it's mostly, I guess, older, like young adult age people. So they're getting rid of all that yeah. stuff because I guess people just don't do it. I mean, you have to go through all of these steps to get sorted. And I think that's what people really want to use the site for is just see what get else sorted, they're in yeah. and then read JK Rowling short stories. And that's it. It's really interesting. I mean, there's, there's some, you know, this is one of the few, I think, literary fandoms that's now actually beyond the books that could support its own dedicated content community or just basically content portal. I mean, probably this, Game of Thrones. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else. Maybe the Lord of the Rings stuff. Uh, I don't... Do you think Hunger Games Divergent? I feel like there's just not enough books. Like, is there enough there that if there was uh, District 14, was just <laughs> district14.net, would people be into that? Or I, I think, no, just feel I like, think it would... No, I think it would need to... Well... Game of Thrones, definitely. I think it would require at least five books, and also the author needs to be alive. So yeah, that that's, that's to, good. To that's fair. Stuff. So the, the Tolkien would not work, yeah. I don't think. New stuff, either, either, new stuff needs to be coming out, and I think that's one thing about Pottermore is we have these movies coming out, so it's not 
a coda on the franchise. And I think there's always in the back of our minds too, that there could be Harry Potter eight at some point in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so that that's very much a living, breathing world. Uh, but you're right. Something like middle earth, I think there'd be interest for a little while, but what, what are you going to do after you've seen everything there? Uh, you already have the Cimmerillion to get into the back matter. I mean, that's, that's really what the Cimmerillion and all that stuff was. It was like Pottermore for middle earth before the internet existed. (laughs) Um, Pottermore so think, has 35 employees. That's, that's bananas Well, it's a billion-dollar enterprise. I mean, it's it's huge. I, they said they're also going to be focusing more on the commercial parts. You've already been able to get ebooks and digital downloads of the uh, audiobook downloads of the books. But there's also a whole world of Harry Potter swag of collectibles and merchandise. Um, I think it's smart of them to try to capture as much of that uh, as possible. Um, I think this is one of the more interesting sort of book-related websites out there just because nothing else is really like it. And it's trying to figure – I mean, we no one knows better than us how big of fans uh, Harry Potter fans are. There's just an yeah. almost an unending thirst for Harry Potter-related stuff um, as the, the barrage of listicles um, about which uh, – which uh, the Horcrux is your dog is and stuff like that that comes out. Um, but that they're moving away from the gamification part, I think also, yeah, you're realize, realizing that our, you know, our Harry Potter fans aren't just 14-year-olds or 9-year-olds that are looking for a little game. Like, it also wasn't enough a game to actually be a game, right? It was kind of neither no. fish nor fowl, I think, maybe in that, uh, in that kind of way. It was so, just an annoying <laughs> number of steps to get to what you wanted to get to. It wasn't actually, like... Like fun, you know, it wasn't like whatever Warcraft right, or whatever right. the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's not like an actual yeah. game. It's just sort of game mechanics that are just annoying enough uh, to to piss people off. Uh, there's a small few. This is from the press release. There are a small few who want to retain the role playing immersive environment. Frankly, there's a mass of niche Potter communities where they can do that. Well, I think that's interesting too. They're also mm-hmm. fighting a little bit with the wider um, HP fandom. Not fighting necessarily, competing uh, for attention. Um, in time from uh, the hardcore Harry Potter fans, too. So I'm looking forward to taking a look and see what that looks like here. That's coming out September. Oh, that should be out, they said, September 16th. So I should have looked at it. So it should be available (laughs) right now to see what that looks like. Oh, it looks the same. Huh. Interesting. Well, maybe they're behind schedule. It is just a day. Yeah, I feel like if it had updated, we would have heard something about it on the Internet. Yeah. Um, the Pew Internet next story. Pew Internet Research uh, did a wide-ranging study, as they tend to do, on a whole manner of things. But this was about libraries. A um, lot of interesting statistics here. Forty-six um, percent of all Americans, ages sixteen and over, visit a library or a bookmobile in person in the last year. This piece in Gallicat, I'm like said, says only forty-six percent. Is that does that warrant an only forty-six percent to you that almost half of Americans went to a library last year? I think only in the context of how it's the number is falling. Yeah, down from forty-eight percent of people report, reported visiting a library back in 2013, and down. Um, from 53% of those surveyed in 2012. So in that, in that context, it's down 7% or, uh, you know, in, in absolute numbers or about 15% in relative numbers. Um, according to the report, the, using a library's digital service is not the reason for the physical absence. According to the report, 22% of people 16 and older have used library websites in the past year, down from 30% in 2013 and 25% in 2012. So it went up and then it went went down. Down. That yeah. Okay. It went up it went 25 30 to 22. You know, a 15% fluctuation, you know, from 53 to 46 down 48. That I I don't know if that falls into the range of statistically significant or not. You know, I that don't could know. just be yeah. fluctuation. Uh, it could it could be a bad winter, you know, something as easy something as simple as that or a super hot summer where people are staying home. Um, you know, it, it'll be hard to say. Um, let's see. 27% who visit a library have used its computers, internet connection, or Wi-Fi signal in the last year, down slightly from 31% in 2012, even though 46% of people went last year. They also say 16 and over, which when I go to the library, there's a passel of kids there. Yeah. So I wonder if, if that number is skewed. I wonder why 16 and over. 
um, particularly particularly interesting for these people. But the survey found that 65% of U.S. citizens age 16 and older say that closing their local public library would have a major impact on the com- on the community. So 60 there's a 19% spread of people who haven't gone last year, but still believe that the library is important to the local community. I wonder. I mean, that makes sense to me. Yeah, sure. There's a, you know that there are some people who say, well, I don't use it myself. I used to be like this, though I'm a heavier library user now. But like the last 15 years or so. Um, I haven't been using my local public library, and I would have answered in the affirmative if someone had asked me that, you know, did I think it would be a big deal. I wonder what else, what what could you get 65% of U.S. citizens to, I mean, that's a super majority almost mm-hmm. of people. I, I, I wonder what what else, what other public institution that you could get 65% of the people to say if we close that. I mean, probably the schools, I'd imagine. Would get sixty five percent. No, maybe not. I don't know. I mean, the, the post office feels to me like one of those necessary evils. Like I hate going to the post office, <laughs> I, but you kind of, yes. you know, for a lot of things, you just have to use it. Or a library isn't that, you know, it, it is not a utility in that kind of way. Um, though I don't know, maybe some people think of it as a necessity that might be different than a utility. Um, so that's where library usage is right now. If you would have asked me. I think we talked about this study last year when it came out, um, comes out every year about this time when people are going back to school. If you'd asked me what number I would have said, I think 46% is higher than I would have thought, but I have weird anecdotal bias uh, against... uh, uh, What would you have thought? What would I have thought? I don't know. This is kind of a weird if game because I know now, so I'm all all screwed up by the number. But I would have said probably 33 to 40% I would have guessed in there. That, that would have been my sense of it. Um, yeah, and, and there's 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 huge swaths of people that just won't go. Um, but yeah, like what other... Have 46% of Americans gone to the post office in the last year? I wonder if that... I wonder what other institutions 46% of people have gone to uh, in the last year. Certainly not uh, public schools, because, you know, <laughs> these are people over the age of 16. So anyway, uh, that's that's the new numbers. I'm not sure if that um, you know bodes ill or well. Um, I feel like there's been a lot of talk about libraries this year, and yeah. I'm, so I'm wondering if maybe this number will go up next year. I, where do you think that's I, coming from? There's a lot of talk about libraries going on right now. Well, I think it's because like the the role of the library is kind of changing. Yeah. Um, in communities and people, you know, there's some. There's always a think piece to be written about oh, whether oh. or not you know yeah, about whether right. or not libraries are useful. Um, and as they become more technologically focused and the and librarians uh, role shifts to teaching people how to use, you know, digital media and stuff mm-hmm. like that, um, they become either more or less relevant, depending on who you ask. But, you know, there's always that conversation about whether, um, you know, like book, bookless, what's, what's bookless libraries, bookless libraries that's a big yeah, thing right now. Libraries, yeah. yeah, digital libraries that are just digital media and whether or not that counts and blah, 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 you know, mm-hmm. on and on. That stuff is always out there being written and talked about. Um, well, the, we, we, a couple years ago, we had the big narrative of like, libraries are obsolete. Why would we have libraries? We can get everything on our Kindle, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. We're going to come back to a story in a minute uh, about reasons independent bookstores are thriving. And I, I wonder if independent bookstores thriving has taken a little of the heat from libraries. That's so actually, yes. I was going to bring up the independent bookstore thriving thing and how it's interesting that the numbers for indie bookstores are going up while the numbers for libraries are going down. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll come back to that in a second. But those are the new numbers. Um, my library always seems really busy when I'm in there. Do you still do you still make the library quite a bit? I do. I, um, <laughs> I actually, I moved about two years ago, no. I think, to a new county. And I don't like the libraries here. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm now like a snooty library user. Oh, um, worst kind. I know, it's so bad. But the library in my old neighborhood was new and um, much larger and had had a lot more books and the children's section was uh, a little fancier. So I actually drive right by my library in my neighborhood <laughs> right now and go to my old one. I know it's so bad. I should I should frequent my neighborhood, my current neighborhood's library. It's not it's not that bad. Like if I can't find something in my old neighborhood's library, I'll go to the to this one that I'm I live by now. But it's just not as it's yeah. just not as nice. Sorry. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, <laughs> we'll pay attention to this, but it, it does seem like it does seem like a significant shift over the last few years. I mean, when you're talking about this many people, um, the sampling error tends to be pretty small because there's there's just so that represents a wide range of people. So, I mean, could it just be because we're pulling out of a recession? Like, you know, people were going to the library more be. frequently because book they sales didn't are have up, so they're not they're not borrowing as many. That makes a lot of sense to me. 
Um, I think there's some case to be made that as audiobooks have gone, have made a rise, that that's something that's a little easier to get commercially than through your library on the whole. Um, so it could be some patterns like that. I mean, maybe Oyster and Scribd, some subscription services have taken some of those users. I don't know. It's hard Audible, to say. Yeah. Um, but that's where we are right now. Okay. Here, speaking of, uh, now here's a number I've always wanted to know. Uh, <laughs> And this blew me away. Did you did you were shocked by this as I, I no. was? Can you hear it in my voice? You weren't shocked? Yeah, no, not at all, no. Really? You don't keep a TBR, though, so... Oh, yeah, that's right. So I have a weird... I'm also uh, another one of my idiosyncratic biases. <laughs> um, Kobo disclosed data. So Kobo is uh, an ebook retailer, and uh, they're owned by Rakuten, which is a big Japanese corporation. It's kind of like the Japanese Amazon, but Kobo is based out of Toronto. Um, they've done sponsorships with the show before, just in the name of, just, of uh, some disclosure. But they said that of their, they keep track of the data, which is this is the only way you ever get this mm-hmm. kind of data. Like back in the day when we were buying only paper books, like you would never know. They, they're, they disclose that only 60% of books purchased are ever opened. Hmm. And it says nothing about whether or not they're even finished. The more expensive the book was the the more likely it was the reader would at least start it i guess that makes sense you know you some sunk cost you're going to you're going to try to fall yeah, upon totally. your investment and you you i mean you were more willing i feel like if you're more willing to pay a bunch of money for it yeah you know but you it wanted had, it in the first place it has no bearing on whether or not you will finish it though if you paid you know 18 dollars for an ebook you're more likely to start it but you're not going to you're not going to eat your vegetables if you get into it and uh, you don't like it too um, I, uh, Jelly Books, uh, they, this is a sponsored content from this, I think, or a press release that uh, at iBooks, fifty to fifty-five percent of eBooks get opened. That these are, you know, these are people; these are advanced reading copies. That's they have data about that. So even that is, I think that's an interesting statistic too. I don't know if I would expect that to be higher or lower. I would expect it lower, I guess. But I guess digital arcs, you. Probably most people aren't like us that just get paper books that just show up at our door unbidden. Because um, right. my start ratio for things that show up on my door is, you know, approaching. You know, <laughs> yeah, right. It's a asymptote approaching zero. Um, so that's interesting. I, I thought I've always wondered uh, how many books that people buy from bookstores um, or online that end up on their shelves that they haven't read. Because um, even I, who have TBR Zero, have quite a few books that are on my shelves that I haven't read. Got them as gifts. I got them as one, you know, at a used bookstore because I thought I might want to get to it, and I never actually get to it because I hate the weight of having something I feel <sighs> like I have to read. So I always enjoy, once I finish something, picking up something else. Um, but I know some of the people that we work with at BookRite keep a huge, they have huge collections of unread books. And I that do. sort yeah. of, that penalty of choice is... Uh, comforting do you like having all those unwritten books or do you find it do you feel like does it weigh on you at all like i'm, I'm always curious about this sort of no no of, i don't care it doesn't yeah. bother me at all i really um i don't dislike it i'm very neutral about it it's just i think i enjoy i enjoy uh, book shopping you know and i enjoy finding things mm-hmm. for sale and, and buying them so it's just part of like my reading life it's not um it doesn't affect me one way or the other yeah nine times out of ten i ignore it and just go to the library or go buy another mm-hmm. book anyway you know so <laughs> whatever <laughs> Uh, let's see. The, the other stat here that's interesting, the decline in reader attention, so when people start abandoning a book, almost always starts early, within the first 10 to 40% of a book, which I guess makes sense. Like, are you yeah. going to get 75% of the way into something and then like, you know what, I'm done. I'm sure it matters, but I'm sure there are some people that do that, but it makes sense to me that if you make it halfway through, you're pretty likely uh, to finish to finish the book. Readers are more likely to finish a genre novel than a literary one. That's also the, maybe the least surprising thing I've ever heard. Like, right, Do you yeah. think the number, let's say that we had a, a magic uh, gazing ball <laughs> and we could know what the number of uh, unstarted print books that are bought. Do you think the number would be higher or lower than that? Unstarted print. Oh, so for just the same thing. Yeah, just the same print. thing just for print books. Um. I think that in the book world, it is probably comparable. I think that outside of the book world, for readers who aren't like book bloggers and things like that, it's probably lower, I'd imagine, because print books are so much more expensive. You have to go more out of your way to get them. I guess that's the thing yeah. about ebooks. You could sort of make an impulse purchase and then you're like, eh. Get like a I, th- deal I always think about my like mother that. when I'm thinking about <laughs> this question, these kind of questions, because my mother uh, reads 
a book every couple of months. You right. Know? And if she buys it, she always she buys it in hardcover because she saw it on like the Today Show or something like that. Yeah. And then so once she's paid twenty six dollars or something, she's going to read that book. And so you no think maybe conversely, books checked out from the library probably this percentage or maybe even higher aren't started. I mean, I wonder oh, how yeah. many ebooks or how many print books from the library get returned that people didn't even didn't even start them. Um, let's see, is there anything here? Here, let's see. Uh, let's see it's interesting to me that they're using this data for marketing purposes yeah i guess this company is maybe an analytics company like hey look what analytics you can get let's hire them to do analytics that's just (laughs) you know that's my uh the uh uh cynical worldview about it um it just weirds me out like the idea of of companies Especially book companies, for some reason. Not I, this is the first time I've really articulated this, so it, it sounds kind of goofy. But the idea that they're like in my books, looking at my mm. reading habits, so that they can figure out how to sell me something more effectively, is just creeps me out. And, and I know it's because I have this weird, um, not very logical uh, thing about books being art and like the commercialization <laughs> of art. You know, I right, mean, but yeah. it's it makes no sense because obviously publishing is a business, but it's still weirds me out. Like, I don't want decisions about how a book is written, made. Yeah. Do you, can you opt out analytics. of this data collection stuff on your Amazon or iPad? I, you know, I've never really I, looked into it. If anyone out there knows. I really doubt it. I kind of doubt it too, but also it, it seems possible to me that it's, that you could do it. But if you've been, if anyone out there knows, if you can opt out of the data collection, the passive and anonymized data that mm-hmm. gets collected about, you know, even things as simple as what you highlighted or how many pages you went through, the speed you went through, things like that. I, from an, from a, as a interested party, I find the data very fascinating. Uh, so it's, I, on the other hand, uh, uh, I can understand that point of view. It's like, ah, don't be creeping in my, don't be creeping right. between my covers. I think so it's part speak. of the appeal of or the nostalgia for reading a, like a physical book as opposed to an ebook. I mean, I read ebooks yeah. and I love them, but I I do like that I feel more private when I'm reading a mm-hmm. paper book. Like no one is reading over my shoulder. And gotcha. It creeps me out. Gotcha. Well, gotcha. creepy. <laughs> All right, let's move along down the road. Uh, let's do our second sponsor, Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it simple and easy to make a beautiful, functional, responsive website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. Squarespace features an elegant interface, beautiful templates, and incredible 24-7 customer support. Try Squarespace at squarespace.com and use offer code RIDE at checkout to get 10% off. 24-7 live chat and email all the time. So if you're working on your, uh, you're working on your new uh, uh, secondhand bookstore that you want to run online where you sell all those books that you bought and never started, um, you, can, you, can get, you can get email and chat support in the middle of the night from wherever you are. $8 a month, and if you sign up and get a free domain, so you pay for 12 months, that's how many months or in a year, just in case you're really behind the, the times, you can get a free domain name. You know, um, me. you could get that one right there too. Responsive design means the website skills to look great on any device. And since you're selling your, your books that you haven't started, you're going to need a commerce platform, how people can give you money and you can collect their information. Well, every website with Squarespace comes with a free online store. Payment processing is built in. Very nice tools built right in for you to get started running a uh, online store uh, selling whatever you'd like to sell. Start with the trial with no credit card, which is nice. You can do a two-week free trial. You don't have to enter in your credit card and remember to cancel it later. later. Or if you're like me, forget to cancel it the first month. So you, you buy something that you really didn't mean to, but there it was anyway, and you're out 10 bucks or whatever it is. Squarespace knows that sucks. so they But they do know that their product does not suck. So like, we don't need to do that. We don't need to scam people or like try to cop, cop a couple extra bucks because people are forgetful. We'll give them the real deal with no credit card right at the beginning. So you decide to sign up for Squarespace, use the offer code right to get 10% off your first purchase. Shows them you came from us, gives you a little money back in your pocket. Everybody wins. We thank Squarespace for their support of Book Riot on this and many other Book Riot podcasts. Now, future, Squarespace now, Squarespace then, Squarespace forever. Um, okay. <laughs> you wanted that on a t-shirt? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. All right. Reasons independent bookstores are thriving. So, this was a actually not a particularly fascinating article that appeared on the week, but it did get me thinking about 
you know, we know the numbers since 2009, independent bookstores, the, the, the headcount of independent bookstores in the U.S. are up, I think about 25% is the number. Um, and this one says four reasons why independent bookstores are thriving. And their reasons are they offer an experience, um, they curate and recommend in a human way, they're diversifying their offerings beyond books to T-shirts and stationary bags, and they foster community with kids' events, readings, panel discussions, blah, blah, blah. I think... It, tell me if I'm wrong. I feel like that's sort of the accepted common wisdom for why independent bookstores are doing okay. Does that sound about right? Or yes, that that's sort of the. Now, do you buy that? No. What do you? What, so there we go. I. But what <laughs> is the reason then? Do we know? I think it's nostalgia. Oh. Like one hundred percent. Yeah. Like people are looking for that little shop on the corner. So I guess the thing about they offer an experience is true. That's but that's the experience people want. Right. But they've got the, the experience maybe wrong. Yeah, it's not like like they're talking about an experience, it, about, like referencing um, design and how when you walk into an independent bookstore, it can be there's architectural flair and it's often very pretty and there's you know co- mm-hmm. like coffee or whatever. But I don't think it's that. I think people like to walk in and feel like warm hardwood floors and, yeah, you know. Right. Um, Ella Fitzgerald on the PA. Exactly. And like comfy whatever. Yeah, um, yeah, And right. a very knowledgeable. Handwritten uh, shelf talkers. Exactly, yeah. Bespectacled yeah. staff. Uh, <laughs> yes. You know. Yeah, because I was like, these are, I mean, maybe these are all the reasons, but I don't feel like it really captures, because these things were all true five years ago. Like no, nothing yes. on this list wasn't true about independent bookstores five years ago. And also, like I was saying before about how we're coming out of a recession. I mean, uh, yeah. the independent bookstores are obviously more expensive than your library or Amazon. Oh, yeah. And so people weren't going because people didn't have jobs. Got, and now they, they, they do and now they're going back. Money. They yeah, got some it's folded like it's, money now. All of these reasons that we come up, like we want to analyze this stuff to death. But, yeah. you know, could, it, be, it as could simple just be as simple as right, yeah. we got a little bit more money plus sort of the nostalgia that – Nostalgia, but also like the sense of wanting to shop locally, like wider yes. socioeconomic concerns, uh, you know, the the artisanalization of uh, local goods and services. Um, the, what's weird about independent bookstore, to be honest, as opposed to the guy that sells handmade pickles down <laughs> the street, which is they literally are selling the same product as mm-hmm. online retail. I mean, that's the yeah. that's the weird thing. Whereas like with an artisanal sandwich shop or, a, you know, locally sourced uh, goat face soup <laughs> or whatever it is you're having, like you can't really get that anywhere else. So th- there's a differentiator. The, the only thing that the bookstore has to differentiate it is location, you know, sort of proximity. And whatever the intangible experience part of it might be. Because this says, well, people are talking about how much they like real books and paper. And I think that's true to some degree. And I, so I wonder if it's anything really that independent bookstores are doing, but they're beneficiaries from these sort of meta vectors of maybe, you know, the way people like to think about how they spend their dollars locally. They have a little bit money, more money to spend locally. And that I think, I don't know, I feel like too, and this is maybe, again, uh, just reflecting my idiosyncratic anecdata, I'm returning to print and fiction, especially though I get it from my library. And uh, uh, several people I've talked to recently, and we've seen the stats about ebooks plateauing. So it could be all these things where, you know, uh, independent bookstores are the beneficiaries of a, of a confluence of several trends. Not to say that they don't, I don't want them to exist or something like that. I just, this almost, this is sort of me sort of suggest that the, 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 the effect is the reason rather than the other way around. I'm yeah. not sure about I think. That. People are um, in search of an Instagrammable life. Mm. It's beautiful. They're well lit. Exactly. I mean, book covers are pretty to look at. And you can walk into an independent bookstore and Instagram it. And you can't like I've I've actually had this experience. Like I'm saying this because I have done it. Mm. I've Instagrammed. uh, A cover or like taking a screenshot of the cover of a book I'm reading on Oyster or whatever. And I get no response. But I take an Instagram photo of, you know, like a a, a physical copy sitting prettily next to a cup of (laughs) coffee or something. And I get a, I get a big response and it's not, I just find that fascinating. You're like, I'm not invested in whether or not people like my Instagram photos, but a lot of people are. But you notice a real difference in the response to you. Yeah. And if you're trying to um, get the word out about a particular book that you've enjoyed or something like that, then, you know, taking a picture of it Hmm. in its natural habitat in a bookstore is, is always going to get more, of a response, but there's just something about that feeling of, of yeah, like you said, like the the artisanal, the fetishization of local shopping, yeah, right. and all of that. And I think people want to build this kinfolk Instagram kind of experience with mm. their life. And um, I've noticed this in like 
the, the lifestyle blogs that I read also, mm. um, they want, you know, hardwood and flowers and wicker. Well, and, I, I and do think it might be related it. to, you know, the jokes about the, you know, the lumber sexual and things like yeah. that, like kind of a searching for authenticity in a, in a, you know, in, in a digital world, authenticity mm-hmm. becomes sort of hard because everything can be reproduced instantly. And there's sort of a, you know, Facebook, everyone's Facebook and Twitter feeds kind of looks the same just because the platform's don't allow customization, things like that. So offline is a place where, you know, you can have things that are physical. I'm not going to use the word real. I'm going to use, you know, physical, tangible right. things. Um, and that is maybe a, you know, a useful counter to the amount of digital experience that we have and that you can charge a premium for a physical copy of, uh, let me try, I'm just trying to think of something I read, a Girl on the Train. Versus, because I on Twitter every now, now and again I do like what book I just started, what book I just finished, and I just use cover images I pulled off you know online for the ebook. Um, I wonder if I uh, did if I Instagrammed physical books for each one if uh, it would get if it would Only get if more it has, juice. Like, fairy lights in the background. Yeah, I know. People have some more Christmas lights up all the time than I ever would have guessed yeah. uh, in their home, but that's interesting too. Um, yeah, blonde hardwood floors. You want. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want a nice literary fiction section. Can't have any romance in it, of course, because you can't can't do that in independent bookstores. Uh, actually, I, the is, independent bookstore that I worked at had an excellent romance. Yeah, okay, okay. not all bookstores. Much. I get it. I get it. <laughs> and so does Word. <laughs> I will come for yeah, you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm giving them a hard. I'm giving them a hard time. Though it's interesting because, like, most independent bookstores have a wonderful mystery and crime section. Mm-hmm. Um, in my experience, at least. Uh, so maybe over time they'll, they'll get with the program because they got some, they can sell some units, man. Uh, Romance there. readers are the, the fastest readers. I mean, they, Oh yeah. Know, they, well, that as, uh, as Oyster learned when they had to pull romance, <laughs> yeah. they, they were skirt. burning it to the ground. I wonder if genre readers have the same sort of romanticism about bookstores that, you know, literary fiction and nonfiction idiots like me still do. Because oh. I mean, I just I just wonder if they like. Do to genre go and, readers have it? Probably not. I mean, yeah, especially I not romance readers. When well, been certainly snubbed. not. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if they read other things, maybe it's still. But if you're primarily a romance reader, I'm not sure that you have the same kind of uh, emotional attachment to the idea of that kind, particular kind of bookstore. As no, well. why would you? It's just snooty. They're just snooty to them. I, I mean, this, not all. Whatever you know, but I don't know if I've talked about it on the show too. I had this idea, you know, not that I'm ever going to do it or like write the chairman of Barnes and Noble and say, Hey, get on this. <laughs> but you know how like Chipotle was a McDonald's project. Did you hear that? No. Like they were, what? They, some guy was, you know, he made Chipotle and then a McDonald's bought it and then sold it off. I think that's right. But even if it's not true, the idea still holds. So even if I'm wrong, I'm still going to be right, which is my favorite way to be. <laughs> um, but you know, I wonder if Barnes and Noble could do a chain of bookstores that mimic the independent bookstore experience where, you know, it's, they're a little smaller, you know, you and I just gave them the template of what it would be. You hire people that, you know, actually in my experience, a lot of Barnes and Noble booksellers know what they're talking about too, but it's a higher volume. They have a lot more stuff. I just wonder if they could do like a skunk works project. What if we open these smaller bookstores in, you know, more local communities rather than Barnes & Noble, which is now you have to be a strip mall or a big suburb park because they need all this space and the parking. Like, I wonder if they could open up an independent bookstore and say, like, my neighborhood in Ditmas Park here, which doesn't have uh, an independent bookstore, um, you know, kind of keep costs down a more curated collection if that's something that would work. Uh, I've wondered about that. They could leverage their buying um, power and get better prices than most individual independent bookstores could. But that's that's a free idea for Barnes & Noble. Make a, make it, uh, you know, call it, uh, call it uh, what would Lily's Books, you know, or something like that. It's very, very homey. Okay, let's see. We're, boy, we're kind of, I'm talking too much here. Uh, where do you want to go next? We got I a few more. I want to talk about the YA Yeah, okay. This I was, love this, this story so I much. think I should have, we should have talked about this last week on the show, but I think it was still in process. Yeah. Um, and maybe it still is now, but what's going on with, with this? Um, Patrick Ness, who's a, a YA author who wrote The Knife of Never Letting Go? Is yeah, that right? the yeah. Uh, Chaos Walking trilogy. Yes, thank you. Um, and A Monster Calls and all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, was angry on Twitter about the Syrian refugee crisis. Then this was like the day that that image came out of that little boy on the right. Turkish beach. Um, and out of a, in a fit of just like cussed frustration, started a fundraising campaign for Save the Children, which is a refugee. Well, it's a whatever. It's a charity that is right now focusing a lot on serving refugee children. And just out, he said he was tired of 
tweeting despair. And so he wanted to do something. So he started this campaign and said that he would match 10,000 pounds of donations. And it went kaboom on the internet. And huge. John, went so big. Huge. John Green joined in and Rainbow Rowell joined in and Tahira Mafi and all this, like all of these YA authors and then a bunch of authors who are not young adult like just all any author that you know on Twitter that exists on Twitter uh went into pledge to match uh donations and then a couple of publishers also uh, pledged to match donations which I thought was really interesting and right now it's over a million dollars um so over half a million pounds mm-hmm. and that have been pledged and he's going I just checked on it and he's running it for another day or two oh okay um, Good. just so people can get in the last of their um, their donations, but he, yeah, just out of Twitter frustration, the man has raised a million dollars for for Syrian refugees, which is just amazing. Yeah, you and I um, were back channeling about you know feel that one hit us especially hard for a variety yeah. of reasons that you know whatever. Yeah, um, and clearly a lot of other people felt the same, and it went fast, like it went meteoric there for in like the space of about twelve hours. It went from something he's like, you know, I'm going to try to do something because I feel helpless to. Oh my word! <laughs> yeah. here, here come here come the dollars. But you know, clicktivism doesn't do anything. Man. That's I mean, totally. This is all. This is all fake. Nothing. None, none of this is real. Um, but heck of a. I mean, that's a hero of the week. I'd say Patrick Ness. Absolutely. Maybe yeah. maybe the month um, for that particular story. All right. Oh, we got lists. Lists. Yes, yeah. We, oh, the, the yeah. man Booker shortlist short came out. List. We talked about the long list last week, or maybe the week before. But to keep you updated on that particular story, the uh, the, the the shortlist is Marlon James, uh, A Brief History of Settling Killing, Killing, Satin Island by Tom McCarthy, Chagosi Obioma's The Fisherman, Sunjeev Sahota's Oh, I for, just forgot her book. What? I forgot the name of her book. Oh, The Year of Runaways. The Year of Runaways. Yeah. And then uh, Hanya, Hanya Yanagahara's A Little Life. And I just missed the last one. And Tyler's Spool and Tyler's of Blue. Spool of Blue Thread. Nice diverse list. I'm so sad about Lila. That's actually why I went out drinking last Aww. night. Um, <laughs> good list. Interesting Lila. list. I, I got to think. I think The Fisherman is going to win. You think? Yeah. Did you read it? No. I read it. It's really good. I think it's going to be the Yanagahara. Oh, you think so? Yeah. yeah. See, I haven't read that. So again, boy, my biases uh, are showing. Uh, today, because I haven't read that and will not read that. Read that. No, yeah, you will not. No. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not against it. It's just. It just. It's just uh, got too much stuff that I find too uh, troubling for me to enjoy. So or there's even two really authors. Get through. Go yeah, ahead. no. There's two authors from the UK, two from the US, and then two from elsewhere. Yeah, we did. Two, 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 two out of five. Uh, so there we go. Uh, perhaps more interesting, just because they're new titles that we haven't talked about already, was the National Book Award long list. Mm-hmm. For fiction and nonfiction came out, uh, NYA and poetry. There's a whole bunch of things, so we can't go through all of them. I didn't even know they had a YA. Uh, it's a good thing award. that's relatively new, is my understanding. Um, Nimona. Nimona. I love oh. that. I read that. I got that from the library. I thought it was really great. Noelle um, Stevenson is, is a joy. Yeah, she She's is so good. really great. Um, let's see. Anything else, Strike? Anything else you want to shout out in any I'm of these? I'm scrolling up. So the long list, the fiction long list, the Turner House, Fates and Furies, which I love. Yeah, a little life, of course. Oh, welcome to Bragsville. Rebecca really enjoyed oh, that. Yeah, they're, oh yeah, Oh yeah, the Turner House by Angela Flournoy. We were talking about that. I love that book. Uh, Edith Perlman, Honeydew. Edith Perlman is a writer's writer, kind of one of those chronically <laughs> underread writers that um, will have her name will pop up. Adam Johnson, who has previously won the National Book Award. Uh, he went for the Orphan Master's Son a few years ago. Oh, my beloved Jesse Ball. Well, that's a huge deal for him. A, cur- a Cure for Suicide, which I actually haven't read yet. I've read all of his others. Um, Shinsky read that and I think liked that very much. On the nonfiction side, no surprise, Taniasi Coates' Between the World of Me. Awesome. Um, makes it on there. Let's see anything else I paid attention to. That's got to be the winner. Oh, the Soul of an Octopus. The Soul of an Octopus is in I there. I heard that. this rain, the rain, uh, uh, a, a natural and cultural history of rain is really interesting. And one of those micro histories, though, it's hard to call rain a micro history since it's like, you know, global. Um, that one seems really interesting. Tracy K. Smith's Ordinary Light. She's a photographer. And this is her memoir that's been on my, on my radar for some time. Um, but yeah, I think I'd go Coates, Obioma. Oh, I'm sorry. This is this is I'm I'm switching. Wrong uh, award. Mm-hmm. Coates. Lauren Groff. Groff. People yeah. love that. People love that book. It's I love that book. Yeah. 
Love poetry, ASMR. I can't say anything intelligent about any of these. So let me try. No, let me sit. No, okay. <laughs> I really uh, like the cover of How to Be Drunk. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. Uh, Sherman Alexie is one of the poetry judges this year. I'm sure he'll be checking some bios before he uh, Ooh, yeah. awards a, a winner there. Um, uh, all right. Let's do our last. We have a book for our last sponsor before we get to new books. I'm really excited about this one. Uh, uh, Charles Belfort has a new book out called House of Thieves. His last book I really liked, and I've recommended to a whole bunch of people, is called The Paris Architect. Belfort himself is an architect by trade. And both of these books um, feature architecture prominently. Let me tell you first about the new book, uh, House of Thieves, where basically he took the, he got this idea for the story. There was a real-life historical figure named George Leslie, who was from a rich Midwestern family and supposedly studied architecture at University of Cincinnati, came to New York to work as an architect, but got involved at planning bank robberies using his knowledge of the architecture of a day to help rob banks, which is just amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's said to have lived a double life among New York high society and the underworld and was found murdered in 1870. So it's sort of this turn of the century New York, sort of gaslight. Uh, What's that? The the Clive Owen, the Nick, right, is sort of set around the same time. So here's the synopsis of House of Thieves by Charles Belfort. 1890s New York City, John Cross only cares about two things, becoming the most prominent society architect in New York and upholding his his family's spotless reputation. His entire life changes the day he discovers that he that his oldest son, George, has racked up an unfathomable gambling debt to the city's most notorious criminal mastermind. Desperate to save his son's life and uphold his family's good name, he uses architectural knowledge to help Kent and his gang of thieves pillage the homes of his friends and clients until the debt is paid in full. So it's not just people, but people he knows. When his um, exploits catch the attention of detectives, he realizes it's only a matter of time before they find out that he's the culprit. Cops breathing down his neck and the mob boss refusing to listen to let him off the hook. He realized that if he's not careful, his entire life and his families will come crashing down. So you get a little historical fiction, you get a little heist, you get a little you get a little family drama. Um, I'm really excited to read this. Uh, and it's uh, out now wherever books are sold. Uh, House of Thieves by Charles Belfort. Also go check out The Paris Architect. That one, the, the, the thumbnail of that is also about an architect who is asked by a wealthy Jewish patron to build hiding spots into homes in and around Paris to hide Jews um, uh, from the coming wave of uh, Nazi occupation. Also really interesting books. Um, I, I like this idea of like, let's get someone who's a specialist in a particular area and then write books that, you know, incorporate their specialization in very, uh, a very thoroughgoing and comprehensive way. So that's The House of Thieves by Charles Belfour. Speaking of faith... What was that book? Oh, oh go sorry. ahead. Go ahead. What was, what was that book about? Oh, gosh. It was, uh, oh, The Cutting for Stone. Yeah, Abraham, Abraham Vergese. Yeah. yeah, who's a, a doctor. doctor. Yeah. yeah, that book was That's a another great, great example, example of that. I've been waiting for his next book to come out forever. So one of these days I'm going to get, Publishers Weekly is going to tweet that he's got a, a new one coming out, and I'm going to have to keep my eyeballs from popping out because I've been very <laughs> excited about that. So speaking of Fates and Furies, it's out now. September Yay! 15th, it came out by Lauren Groff. Talk about it. I loved it so much. Probably my favorite book that I've hmm. read so far of the year. No, probably. Definitely my favorite book that I've read so far the year. So it's a, a novel about a marriage. Uh, the first point of view, the first half of the book is told from the husband's perspective and the second half from the wife's. Um, Lotto and Matilda are the names of the characters and they meet in college and they are artsy and like like the interestings, if you read that. Um, yeah. Meg Wallets are like very artsy and intellectual and Lotto's an actor and wants to be um, a playwright and all of that. And he was born into a very wealthy family and it's kind of a, a golden child. He's he's rich and everybody loves him. Everything he does touched to gold. He's very privileged. And uh, he marries this very quiet and beautiful, tall, glamorous woman and thinks that she loves him so much and is just um, dedicated to his cause, essentially, which he takes as his due because mm. he's kind of a jerk. But um, then the second half is the same kind of story, the same events covered from the wife's perspective. And you find out that things are not what they seem. And she is not who her husband um, really perceived. It's kind of gone girlish in that. And I don't mean that to say that like, it's not the plot is nothing like Gone Girl, but in the same Mm. way that you get like, whoa, this perspective is revealing things that I was not expecting, (laughs) you know, about this character who I thought that I knew for 300 pages. Um, so it's, it's very thrilling in that way. And it's a lot about secrets. Um, and it's just very satisfying. Um, there, it's very smart. There's a lot of, uh, references to Greek mythology. There's plays like, like Lauren Groff wrote plays and, and librettos and stuff and, and weaves it into the book 
So it's it's a reader's book, if that makes sense. Yeah, I understand. Um, but at the same time, totally a page turner. The characters are fascinating. Um, and beyond being like likable or not likable, they're not necessarily likable people, but they're they're interesting people, and you're going to want to stick with them the whole time, even though you also want to pummel them about their head and shoulders, <laughs> you know, um, which is a tr- one of my favorite literary tricks. If you can make me stay with a character who I hate, that's that impresses me so much, and that really that's happens in this book. It's really good. For the Loved for it. the people who are into YA out there, uh, I haven't read this in either of you, but we've heard a lot of people talking about it. It's called Dumplin'. It's out this week by Julie Murphy. Uh, it's about um, uh, a teenager who's nicknamed Dumplin' by her former beauty queen mom. Uh, she self-identifies as fat, and happily and proudly so. And she has a friend named Ellen who's sort of an all-American friend type person. Things going fine. She gets a job, meets a fella. Things happen. <laughs> um, people that we know really love this book, love what it's doing with body image and positivity and giving you know, uh, people who aren't maybe uh, the skinniest people in the world, fully formed starring roles in a, in a YA book. I hope I've given that a fair shake. So My favorite line from the synopsis <laughs> is, her thoughts on having the ultimate bikini body is put a bikini on your body. <laughs> That's really good. It's That's so a good, good line. So it's Dumplin' uh, with an apostrophe at the end by Julie Murphy. So you can check that out if you or someone you know is interested in that. As always, you can find links to the stories and books we talked about in the show and the show notes at bookriot.com slash podcast. Uh, you can email us at podcast at bookriot.com. We got feedback from something else, something we've said, something we've asked you to give us feedback on or just general feedback on the show. You can follow me on Twitter at the Jeff O'Neill. No, there's no apostrophes in Twitter. No. O-N-E-E-L. You can follow Amanda at I'm Amanda Nelson. Also no apostrophe. I-M-A-M-A-N-D-A-N-E-L-S-O-N. Uh, you can follow Book Riot on Twitter at Book Riot. That's nice. We got that one. I wonder if we, <laughs> there's no way we'd be able to get that now these days because everyone takes every possible permutation of anything that remotely resembles uh, intelligible English handles. Uh, go bookwritelive.com. Use offer code wheelhouse to get 20 bucks off. That's an easy one to do. Or you got this other choice. If you don't, if you, you can choose a discount. Or right now, there still have a few left. Buy a ticket to Book Riot Live, and you can get two free tickets to the Broadway musical Matilda based on the book. Matilda, which is supposed to be delightful. It's a heck of a deal. Thanks so much to Matilda for being a sponsor of the show and giving our fans a little extra something when they sign up for Book Riot Live, bookriotlive.com. You can't pair the pro, you can't pair the discount and the tickets. The tickets, to be honest, are a way better deal right yeah, now. They are, the totally. big Broadway, big Broadway production. <laughs> you know how much it costs to go to a Broadway show these days? <laughs> I know. In fact, even if you're, to be honest, if you're not interested in Book Riot Live at all, the, the the value of the ticket is the two Matilda tickets are way more than the sticker <laughs> price of a Book Riot Live ticket. So you could do a little arbitrage there. Uh, so uh, thanks to them for sponsoring the show. Thanks to Squarespace, House of Thieves, and Scribd for sponsoring the Book Riot podcast. Amanda, thanks for being here on this uh, this this kind of uh, sleepy hungover Thursday. Yeah, I'm hungover from the GOP debate. So uh, let's not get into that. I don't have another <laughs> six hours. <laughs> Talk to all you right. all later. Bye. <laughs>